or something. Oh, you got my tea. Got your bags. And then this, you won't hear hear me through here at all. Okay, uh, this is just the microphone. Yeah. And then I uh, just have that as close to your mouth as possible without it actually nom, nom, touching nom, nom, nom. your mouth. Chris, MC Chris Turner, who I, I was I was I was trying to like uh, have I had an Eminem playlist going, mm -hmm. and so I was trying to have Eminem playing as you walked in, oh, but and we, and then as soon as you knocked it, switched to like I'm the sorry. game or whoever it was. I'm sorry. Uh, Got to got to create ambiance. Yeah, you have to you have to make like some wrestling walk-in music. Absolutely. Wait, so you because you're I, I'm here with comedian Chris Turner. I almost feel like comedian is a understatement because you rap, you freestyle rap, yeah, not rap, entertainer, rap. <laughs> entertainer, Chris Turner from Manchester, England. Yeah. Uh, where? I, how far is that from London? Uh. Two hours on a train, an hour and a half once okay. they've finished uh, the uh, the high speed train link, which we're never going to build, but we say we will. Yeah, I, I would think they would build it because you have the uh, f football soccer team, Manchester United. Is that are they located Fre in Manchester? They are, and no? they frequently turn up to games late because they don't leave in time. That's last insane. season that happened a lot, yeah, and they just lost today one nil to Newcastle, who are old rivals. But United are having a bad season, having had four bad seasons in a row because our all-time greatest manager of any team in the world retired a while back, and then we went bad. You know, that, that, that points to the importance of leadership. He was there for like 20-something years. Wow. He's cool. I met him like a couple of times. Really? Yeah, when I was a kid. Um, because he was like, he was local, you know, and he, was, he would go out. I used to go to all the Manchester United games when they had their best season ever, which was the 99 season when they won the treble, which is like you win three major trophies, including a European one. And uh, yeah, they, the bus celebration drove right past the end of my street. It's like we all went and cheered him on. Uh, that was when they had David Beckham. And he used to, after every game, I used to wait outside and he'd come outside and he'd sign everyone's autograph book. Wow. Yeah. Man, you know, there are people who, you know, when you when we think about celebrities, you know, we just think about like their, you know, great face, great genetics. <laughs> but the the really great ones are the ones who really take time to spend time with the fans. Yeah, it's the attitude sign. and demeanor. Yeah, and I I saw a video on Twitter a while back, which was like, I don't know, someone was calling someone out like, oh, they signed this person's ball and then just like, they didn't even make eye contact with them. They just took it, signed it and gave it back. And it was like, hold on a second. They were out there signing it. Like that's already giving you something. Why are you being like, look at them in the eye as well? Like, no, they owe you nothing. The fact that they're doing that is a, is a, a nice thing as it is. Like, you know, I, I find it, and I kind of ponder in my head, like, what is it like to be that level of famous? And like, there's a couple of comedians I've performed with where, like in the UK, like they are famous, like people recognize them. And we were on a night out with this guy and everyone was just stopping him to take photos. And it, we were at the bar and we were all with him. We were all comedians. And the bartender was like, oh my God, wow, are these your friends? And like, he just went, oh yeah, we all went to school together rather than say like, oh, they're all comedians as well. Um, and the bartender's like, free drinks all night. And we're like, great, this is amazing. And I said to him, hey, we're really benefiting from this, but you are taking photos all night. 
like, how does that? And he goes, I didn't have to be famous. I didn't have to do the TV show that everyone knows me from. It's like, that's the thing you weigh up and it's part of the deal. And I was like, that sounds like a, an awful deal to have to be, because one time you're short with someone or one time you lose your temper and then suddenly, whoa, this person's a dick. Right, right. And, and I, I, I also wonder if that's him not being really connected to all the emotions. Because, yeah, there's a part of your, your rational brain says, well, of course, this is what comes from being on television and in movies and stuff like that. It's just like we're on stage and people want to take photos after or shake hands. Uh, but there's also the part of you that is like, all right, I'm emotionally tapped out. Mm. Because we are people outside of the entertainment. Like, you're married. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not married. <laughs> but, you know, it's like I have a family. I have friends. I have things going on that uh, affect me before I hit the stage. And I have to put to the side and compartmentalize yeah. when I hit up there. And as we all do. So I, I wonder how much of that is him compartmentalizing. And then at some point, he you know, he explodes. If he's one of those, like... Cool, yeah. cool, cool, and then boom. I, I have a friend, so I, I live in LA, listeners, even though I am British, and um, a friend of mine's an actor, and he was shooting a film with a, a currently very famous actor who is younger than 18. Um, and that one on set, someone's like, hey, let's go and get some food. And the actor, the famous actor, is like, oh, I don't want to be mobbed. And my friend tells me, like, I thought, huh, that's a bit like, oh, all right. I'm like, yeah, we know you're famous, but <laughs> mobbed. And so he didn't come out. And then the next day, they go to get some food somewhere. And this guy is mobbed. Just like 20 minutes of fans being like, just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like coming up and like hugging him. Like zombies. And, and yeah. so they start leaving. And as they're walking away, the fans start following them. And like you can see, this actor's getting like kind of like because they're not an adult, right? Um, and so they just snap and turn around and just went, "What do you want? A picture? Take your pictures!" <laughs> and my friend is like, "Oh, wow, yeah, don't you don't want to be this level of famous? Like he's going to be so unhealthy. What a horrible thing to be!" and like yesterday, I was with some friends. I went to see a friend's show at one of the other casinos, and we were sat around afterwards. And they they just had like their show; it had gone really well, and everyone's you know it's like for a family friendly show. All the kids are lining up afterwards, to take photos with the, the the actors. And I was like, oh, that's so cool that you guys do that. And they're like, yeah. And then two people come up to me, and they're like, hey, sorry to bother you. We really enjoyed you at the comedy cellar the other night. You rapped about ah oh, blah blah blah. And I was there like like. Oh, I feel special <laughs> because they didn't just see my show now. They remembered me from 24 hours, not even that, 12 hours ago. It, when you're at this level, this level, like we don't walk down the street and someone goes, oh my God, you're Chris Turner. But when they do recognize you, it feels lovely. And right. I think there's a British comedian called Richard Herring. He says the perfect level of fame is that about two or three times a week, someone goes, hey, you're really funny. If you get bigger than that, that means you're going to get stopped. People going, hey, you're not funny. Right. You're going to get a mix. You're going to yeah. get both. And, uh, I, but you know what's the funny thing is I was at the airport when I was coming here because me and Chris were both at the Comedy Cellar uh, this week in Vegas. And this lady walked into uh, a, a restaurant 
And oh no, this was here actually. This not at the airport. This was here at the buffet. And she walks into the buffet and she was meeting her friends. And she had that look of like, where where are my friends? Where am I? You know, just this look of loss. And then as soon as she recognized her friend and her friend recognized her, it was like this huge explosion of emotion mm-hmm. from both of them. And I go, and and it was at that moment that I realized, oh, you don't have to be famous to experience that get that dopamine rush to feel that acknowledgement it it uh, it just requires like moments of feeling lost and then found and found and acknowledged by like your group because there's nothing better than when like you're looking looking for for your people and then you see oh that you know yeah yeah it's like that that tension because there's a slight undercurrent of like Am I at the wrong place? Or <laughs> wait, have they left me? Yeah. Like when you're waiting for someone to come up to a date and you're like, they've been seven minutes. This is, am I going to be? And then you see them and you just go, oh, thank God. Oh. And then all the nerves of like, am I going to fuck it up? I mean, I'm married. I haven't been on a date with someone who's not my wife for six years. Um, I should clarify that for in case she listens and is like, what are you talking about dates? But, but I wonder, like, how long have you been married? Uh, one year. One year. But we've been together for six years. Six years, yeah. okay. But I, I would imagine, you know, in, in relationships, because I, I talk a little bit about this on stage in that, like, th- there are there are moments where either you have to manufacture them or they're just naturally created where, but like a feeling of loss so that there's a longing for you that you once had at the beginning. Because in the beginning, you know, when you're first dating, like, mm. you can't wait no, it's, to see it's, that person. You're chemically driven. Yeah. And then after a while, you you know, you get used to it like any drug. And then, yeah. um, uh, you know, you theoretically need another hit or a stronger hit. And most people, not most people, but some people get that in the form of another person. Yeah. But there are ways that you can create that in a relationship. Oh, exactly. Right? And I think one, I, I feel my wife and I have a really good relationship. I think she would say that as well because we talk about it, I mean, especially in this relationship, more than any other one I've had. I've talked about things like we'll sit down and you, we'll be like, hey, I don't feel that in love with you at the moment. And as long as you acknowledge that and then you kind of go, what is the factor of that? Is it because we've been spending too much time apart? And like we we asked people for advice when we got married. Like we did everything. We did pre-marriage counseling, which was one of the best things I've ever done. Like I've never been to therapy. I've never had counseling. Pre-marriage counseling, we did one session before marriage, one session after. And like it set a bedrock and then it reinforced the things that we were doing that we've been told. And it was so good. Um, but we'll sit down and be like, okay, I'm not that in love with you at the moment. And that's not like a criticism. It's never given with judgment. It'll be like, you're a way to pass. So like one of the pieces of advice we got from a couple who were, and again, in a different position to us, like they're both actors. They've been together 35 years. They're both like, you know, at the top of their professions in terms of like, they're, they're working a lot. And I was like, how do you guys deal with it? And we were both there with them at this like charity dinner. And they, they were like, oh, we just never are apart for more than three weeks. And that, for them, is the magic number. And I think we applied that so that, like they said, if one's on set, then in three weeks in, they'll fly back and see the friend or that person will fly in and see them. And I think that was a really cool thing to get advice for that we then applied. But yeah, if you address any problems rather than let them fester, like my wife will just come up to me out of the blue and go, I feel like I've been doing a lot of the house like chores. And I'll go, and I'll go, oh, 
oh yeah, um, I actually feel like I've been doing a lot. And then we'll just kind of go, oh, so you've been doing this, you've, I've been doing this. Oh no, we've been doing a fair share. Or I'll be like, oh yeah, I have been slacking off because I've got this deadline. And she'll be like, oh no, of course. And then I'll be like, don't worry, next week I'll take up the slack. And by having that communication, which actually, like some people think to say to someone that you don't love them is like a no-no. But actually, how would you ever expect to be in love with someone the whole time? That's such a poisonous idea to be like, a relationship has to be perfect. Every day has to be perfect because that's not how relationships work. And that's how you end up unhappy, right? So, but do you say, because uh, I want to I want to go back to what you said in the beginning where you're like, I don't feel that in love with you at the moment. Or yeah. is it, uh, are you saying I don't love you? Or is it just very, okay, so, so it's, it's feelings. Like, obviously, to be together with someone, you have to have that you, you fell in love with that person. Now, we clarify, like, different levels of, like, I love you. I'm in love with you. And, like, in love is kind of a different feeling to love, right? Like, you can love your parents, but then there'll be times when you're like, oh, my dad's being a dick. Or, you know, oh, why is my mom acting like this? I And you don't, you can't show affection towards the same way you would. I think it's that similar thing. In the same way, like, with friendships. Like, sometimes you want to hang out with... This is the thing that is a problem with modern relationships. We both agree um and especially we found that moving to la you're kind of cut off from a friend group that you have and so your spouse or your partner becomes the person you need for everything whereas say when we lived in the uk we had like three close friends each who provided different things like i have my friend i can go and get drunk with i have my friend i can talk about sport with i have my friend who's going to come to comedy shows with me and then once you're away from that your spouse has to be all those things, which is, again, how can everyone be all that that stuff? So, Esther Perel talks about that in that back in the day, back in the day, your the village provided your network and mm -hmm. your emotional needs, right? You had, like you said, you had your friends who did this and your friends who did that and blah, blah, blah. And now it becomes so isolated and everybody's moving out to the suburbs and trying to separate themselves um, that now, like you said, your spouse has become the end-all, be-all. And, you know, one person usually ends up feeling like they're waiting for the other person. Mm. I've been in relationships like that where women have said to me, like, I feel like I'm waiting for you or we're doing always th doing things in your time. And, and then we get to a point where they realize they didn't have to wait for me. They could have gone off and, and done it without me you know what I'm saying it's that you you know we get in relationships and we expect and I think you know part, part of the reason why you get in relationships because you want somebody to do things with hmm. and so then you're putting all this pressure on the other person to do these things together that they didn't sign up for it it's like yeah I want us to do things together but if for whatever reason our schedules don't work out go do the thing and yeah. make other friends so that you then have a pool of people to do things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's much better to, as individuals, cast nets and bring in double the number of friends. Absolutely. Like, although I feel best at making friends when my wife's with me because oh, yeah. she, she's like, she kind of is like we're yin-yang in the sense that my deficiencies she kind of makes up for. So she'll be like charming and polite and erudite. And she'll also, like I talk so much and... I 
I'll be it somewhere and I'll be I'll tell a story and she'll just like she won't even do the thing where they like kick you under the table. She'll like disarm any kind of enmity people are feeling because she'll go, Chris, is this an interesting story? And I'll go, I'll go, oh no, actually. And she, and she'll go, she'll go, okay. And then people will be like, what? And she'll go, I've heard him tell that story loads of times. It's never funny. And everyone will laugh and I'll, and I'll be like, she is right. And I think some people in some relationships, that would be seen as like, wow, what's the, you guys hate each other. And it's like, no, she's the one that's like, is this worth taking two minutes people's it's time like for? A, it's almost like TV programming. She's like, is this something we want to air right now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't know. Here's my advice. Get yourself a great partner. <laughs> what? So let's, let's go backwards a little bit. When you said that you went to premarital counseling. Yeah. You went to two sessions before yeah. and after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? What was a session before? What did that entail and cover and mm. you discover? And so then like, what was the, the session after? Yeah, so this was, it came about because my wife goes, we were kind of leading up to our wedding and she's like, oh, I'd like to like speak to someone about our relationship because I want to feel, I want us to feel confident going into the wedding. And it was her who brought it up. I very rarely interrogate my feelings and this has changed a lot since then, which is great. But, so she told me that, and then I found someone. I found recommendations, and I asked some people. And then I said, hey, I found this guy, and I booked us an appointment. And she was like, oh, that's really nice of you, because like, you listened and you did this. And so I was like, well, yeah, because that's an important thing. So we go there. And the we just chatted to this guy for about an hour, and I really liked him, mainly because I was like, well, I'm, he's like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a comedian. I'm here to make it in LA. And he was like, well, from um, you know, just 10 minutes with you, I could tell you're a funny guy. So I think you'll be fine. And I was like, well, and in between our first and second sessions, when we came in for the second session, he was like, I've watched your stuff. You're hilarious. I sent it to my friends. I think you're going to be fine. I was like, this guy's the best. Um, I don't know if comedians have therapists, if their therapists watch their material. Uh, well, it's, it's a risk, isn't it? Like that thing, you, oh, when someone's like, I watch your stuff. And you're like, and you thought, what? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, I didn't see you subscribe to my Instagram. So, but the f- we just chatted for a while, for about like forty-five minutes, and then my wife just goes, "So, are we okay? Do we do we have a a, a good relationship?" And the guy goes, "The guy goes, well, before I tell you that, she's like, just tell me, like, where do we rank?" And he just go, he goes, he goes, "Oh no, you guys are great. You're you're gonna be totally fine." And she's like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah. I see a lot of couples. This is." You guys are fine. Uh, he goes, here are two things to do. And he just said, his advice was um, like weekly check-ins, which is like you have a meeting every um, week based around. Fine, like, And it's not, you kind of like do, you don't do them all in one go. And they're like 10 minutes or 15 minutes. You cap the meetings. It'll be like, this week's meeting is our to-do list. And you share your to-do list and you go, here are some things that, are urgent that I would like you to do. Here are some things I'd like you to do in the next couple of weeks. Here are some things I'd like you to do in the next couple of months. In a month, we'll check in. And that way, it stops nagging, which is obviously a gendered word because people only refer to women as naggers. But it it means that the kind of stereotypical wife who's like, did you get the light fixed in the garage? Did you get the light fixed? I've been asking you to get the light fixed. It's been three weeks now. If you say, I want the light fixed in the next month, 
you don't need to ask that question. You just need to trust that that person's going to get it done. And then at your next check-in, we go down the list again. Did you get the light fixed? I didn't get the light fixed. I really need you to get that light fixed. Boom. It's only one thing. And you know you've kind of failed your deadline. So you know you kind of should improve on that. Um, then right, because like, it's keeping both sides accountable. Yeah, like, yeah. They because know that they're communicating and you know what's on the exactly. You And there's never that thing about like, I've told you f 15 times and it's like, well, I didn't listen. Because again, like, this is a whole thing about gendered language. Men don't understand that women are asking for things because they just think they're saying something like, like, ooh, the Azures seems nice this time of year. And the guy doesn't understand that that means I'd like to go on a holiday. Yeah. Um, so... We have those meetings, like financial meetings, again, because like relationships are all about finances, and we're both young people in LA. Like money is like the, the, our main worry at all times because we're in America. Healthcare, insurance, everything is crazy. Um, we have like long-term goal meetings. What do we want to be doing in two years, in five years? What steps can we take towards that? And so you have, that's one step. And the other step is a thing called parallel conversations, which is great for us because I, it's um. When you start dating someone, you you want to know everything about them. You want to you'll sit up and my wife my wife used to bring this up. This is before we ever had this pre-marriage counseling. She'd say, um, she's like, when we started dating, you would just listen to me talk for hours. You would ask me questions you'd be interested in, like my poetry. Like, like she she's an English major. She loves um, and like legit. Like she went to Oxford. She's super great with all this, and she she teaches um, poetry to kids and get like she got this her one of her fifteen year old students um, who she's a homeschool teacher for. She got her interested in Paradise Lost, John Milton's Paradise Lost, the most opaque like poem imaginable, and like the girl's like, "What happens next?" She's like, "Wait till next session." She's like, oh, "I want to know," and you know, I'm like, "Wow, you can get this kid interested in that." She's amazing, but she's like, "You do that, and now." I it doesn't seem like you care about that. And that's the thing that kind of, it does kind of disappear because when you're first seeing someone, you want to spend all your time with them because you're like, ah, no one else can get you. No one, and like I fell so in love with her when we met. Like she was just so different to everyone else um, and funny, which is like the best thing for me because this is my a pet peeve of mine. Men are like, I want a girl with a sense of humor. And what that means is they want a girl that laughs at their jokes. Whereas I was like, I realized, oh, I need someone who makes me laugh. Absolutely. And she makes me laugh more than anyone. So we have parallel conversations, which means you ask a question that should prompt like a 5, 10, 15-minute answer, and you listen, and you ask questions, you interrogate about it, and then they'll ask you a question. So like, and I've not been doing this as frequently as I should be doing, but like our relationship has been in a good place recently, and this is something that you kind of do. Obviously, you should be doing it regularly anyway, but it's something that we lean on more if we feel a little bit distant from each other, a little bit disconnected. You'll ask, like, so, um, you know, when was the last time you went to a country and were, like, surprised? Or, you know, what was something that you remember doing with your father growing up that, that brought you joy? Like, questions that make you remember things. And you'll talk. And by talking, things will come up. So, like, you'll be like, oh, I guess... I went on this hiking holiday with my my brothers and I I felt really cool. I felt like I I was the, I got to lead or I did these things or I discovered that I like trees and animals. And things come up that prompt you to do other things because you go, "Huh, so it seems like you're really interested in the outdoors 
in this kind of way. We haven't done something like that. Why don't we spend a weekend camping? This is not us because we both fucking hate camping. Um, all our friends who like camping, I was like, you guys like camping? And it, it, I then found out what they mean is they like going to a forest and doing mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Just say you like getting high. That's different. And so you'll have these conversations. Yeah. And you go, huh. Turns out, you know, when we started dating, we used to go to the movies a lot. We haven't been to the movies for two years. Let's go on a date night to the movies. And you kind of re rediscover these things. Our counselor guy was just like, you know, I rediscovered that I haven't been fishing for a long time. My wife was like, hey, like, this is a gift for you. I don't give a shit about fishing. It's like, go fishing with your buddies this weekend. And he was like, oh, that's a great idea. What, I, I don't know. Sounds dumb. And like, go fishing with your buddies. But that was our first one. And we did those things. And after the wedding, he said, and he was great. He was so kind to us because he gave us like sliding scale. We ch he charges the lowest fee. Um, and he's like, I don't think you need to meet me again. I think you guys would be fine if you do this. If you just want to check in after the wedding, do that. So we went back in. So before you go into that part, um, just to highlight something that you, you mentioned in terms of that parallel conversation mm -hmm. uh, and that you discovered things about each other. That, that's also a great conversation to have, heaven forbid, in the event of infidelity. Because, uh, 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 you know, infidelity is above 50% in most marriages. Is that huh? a big number? Well, in America, at least. Uh, okay, and, yeah, because in England, sides. we're just all very well behaved. Yeah. <laughs> I keep it in my trousers. Uh, and um, on, on both sides, it's I think it's like 70% for men, 60% for women. Pause. Yeah, it's, it's up there. <laughs> and, but who knows where these numbers are coming from? Any, you know, numbers. I mean, that's so it. Strange. Is this self reported? Exactly. Is this report it, from it, like the infidelity and divorces? I'm just going to say, as a guy who loves his stats, I want to see the quality of the data. Right. And, it, and what is it based on? Is it just based on divorces? Like, like what's the source of the stat numbers? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, I but, can um, accept that, that these, these numbers are high. Like, but, but yeah, I, but I, I will say that uh, just looking at my family, it's right on par <laughs> with, with my family. And when you say on par, you mean on your father? Uh, or par no, is no, in golfing just, terms. Uh, it's just <laughs> my family members in general. I'm just like, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and uh, but in the in the event, and even my, with my friends, I've had friends tell me about uh, extramarital affairs on from the husband and the wife. And in those instances, when they've talked, because they know I did marriage counseling, mm. um, I would say to them, especially the guys, I'd be like, well, you know, f discover why. And, you know, and what part of you contributed to that? And then are you, are you willing to change that? Because if not, then even if you leave her, uh, it's only going to happen again. Yeah. Right? So you might as well stay and try to f f figure it out in this relationship mm. because it's not something that it's something that's going to uh, recreate itself. But to highlight what you were saying in terms of discovering parts about the other person, and that that's an, a great opportunity to discover what your partner is into, because instead of saying instead of punishing them for having stepped out the relationship. It's a chance for you to explore and interrogate what a, what about the relationship excited them, lit them up, um, 
you know, attracted them? Mm. Uh, what 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 did it bring to the surface that your relationship wasn't doing? Isn't what it, was it? Feeling? Yeah, isn't it often just the kind of it's that craving of newness? Because it's like it's usually someone feels neglected, right? So they they seek out that kind of excitement of like a new kind of spark. It's like dating again, like when you first fall in love or when you first start, it, you get that chemical rush again. And so you have to find ways to address that. Like, Well, yeah, and the newness is a part of it. But there are ways to uh, discover newness within the relationship. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like you said, there's, as we get older and we're changing, like we, we're, our thoughts and our, and our ideas change. And there's so much that we take for granted about the other person. We go, oh, that person likes this, that person doesn't like that. And it, it becomes a fixed idea of that mm. person. And we, and we forget that, oh, that's, a, that's an idea based from two, three years ago. They might like it now. There's mm. stuff that I eat and do and watch yeah. and explore and listen to now. I didn't listen to five years ago, and I didn't listen to ten years ago. And it's constantly evolving and changing my taste, and everything is constantly being expanded in some ways and shrinking in other ways. And so this idea, I think there's a, a, a poor perception of change in a relationship where they go, Oh, you've changed. And we only say that in a negative way. It's always with a negative tone. It's never like, oh, man, you changed. Like, what a change. What an evolution, man. What a transformation. We're like, oh, you've changed. It's always with a negative. And, it, it you you know, hopefully you're changing. I, there's not, I don't know if there's a change for the better, but we are naturally changing. And so... Mm that there's always a newness there is what I'm saying. So that newness you're trying to find somewhere else is already in the relationship because you're always shedding an old self and so is she. And then you have to take time to recognize and see that, you know. That's why women are always changing their hair. They're like, well, he's not going to see this internal work that I'm doing. <laughs> right? <laughs> he's not recognizing my increased leadership skills. So that they go diet purple or orange or something. To, 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 my my to wife has expressed a desire for many multicolored wigs. Yeah. Her mom just started buying multicolored wigs. She was yeah. like, oh, my mom's doing exactly what I want to do. She's like, we need to be, she's like, I just love to have you know, blue hair. Not forever, just for a day. And I'm like, I'm like cool. Go for it, but then like good wigs are expensive, right? Oh, yeah, it's, so. it's insane. <laughs> you know, so so you know, and I and I had a sex worker on also, and she was saying that a lot of married guys who come see her initially are really only coming to be understood. Yeah, yeah, they're just talking. Yeah, so it's not so. I mean, it's not so much the newness. It's like like you like you said, like she wants someone who's going to listen to her poetry. Yeah. Well, this is why men need to cultivate strong male friendships and emotional male friendships. This is a, a thing I'm super into. Like, you need to have someone you can talk to about your partner. And that can't be their friend. And a big problem that men have is their friends are their wives' friends. They don't have... They, they think, oh, ever since I got married, you know, I wasn't allowed to see my friends and hang out with my buddies. That's usually on the guy as much as it is on the woman, even if it is. 
Like you have to make the effort. It's just the fact that women are more likely, uh, in my opinion, to to meet up and do things. Guys are like, oh, well, I don't get to. Yeah, because all you used to do is go to the bar and try and pick up women. And now you have women, so you don't do that. So find a different activity. Hey, go to the bar. That's fine. Look at women. You're allowed to look for a respectful amount of time. Don't do the fucking... Don't stare. Uh, yeah, don't do the thing. Like, hey, my, my wife and I, we play multiple very creepy games like where we'll just check out people in public and be like, just like, like oh, yeah, they're a hottie. Guys and girls. And you can you can creep on someone. Be subtle about it. Don't let them know you're doing it. Don't like those gross guys that like walk down the street, then turn their head and like are like, mmm. <laughs> no. If you want to look at someone's bum because it's nice, great. But if they don't know you're doing it, that's much better because you're not then making them feel objectified, right? Absolutely. If they never catch you, then there's no harm in doing it. If a perv falls in the forest and no one's there to I don't know but if you have a strong male friendship that you can talk about your emotions with then why would you need that sex worker um, so and, and it's, it's this thing men don't want to open up to emotions and because it's seen as you know feminine and they don't want to in their eyes of their friend but so many men are crying out for someone they can open their heart to because yeah we are we should we have problems in relationships and we should be able to talk to someone about them and you can't talk to your wife's friend because oh then she's going to tell your wife well is that a problem because you know my wife will say that she's like oh i you know sometimes i just want to bitch about you to a girlfriend and it's never actual things it's ne never fair she's like there's so many times when like she'll be cross and she'll go she'll just say to me Look, I know I'm wrong about this, but let me be wrong for a while. And I'll be like, cool. And she's like, oh, you're just so annoying sometimes. And I'm like, I guess I am. And the next day she'll be like, hey, thank you for not calling me on that last night. I know I was being stupid. And I'm like, yeah, you do loads of things for me where I'm like, I'm like, I'm bad at comedy. Blah, blah, blah. And she doesn't want to hold me and be like, no, you're very funny, Chris. You're very funny. She doesn't want to do that, but she does that because she knows otherwise I'm going to be like, <laughs> cancel all my shows this week. <laughs> I canceled a show like about a year ago because I was just in such a bad mood. I was so down. And then, and it was in Pasadena and I didn't want to go to Pasadena. And so... Uh, for people who don't live in LA, it's, so it, it's like, especially if you're taking like an Uber pool, because I didn't have a car at the time, it costs money and it takes like an hour to get there, an hour and a half in an Uber pool. And then I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to bake some aubergine, which for Americans is an eggplant, but we call it aubergine um, because as my friend Ian Smith, great comedian says, an eggplant is just a chicken. And so I, I sliced my aubergine in half and I studded it with garlic and really nice olive oil. And I, I was like, mm, this is going to be lovely. And I'm not a vegetarian, by the way. I, I eat meat. I just, I like an aubergine. I think it's great. And I grill it. And then I get out of the oven and the baking tray did that thing where it kind of warps right. and it just slid both of them just like vroomf, onto the floor. And I just, I didn't burst out crying, <laughs> but I... I let out, like, if it was a movie, I would have burst out crying. But I would just did, like, a, ah! And I just took a photo of it, and I texted the person around the gig and was like, I've had a shit day. 
and I just dropped my dinner on the floor. I can't do the gig. I'm sorry. And they were like, that's totally fine. I really understand, which was nice of them because I'm sure some people will be like, what a fucking loser. And I then just like called my wife because she wasn't at home. And I was just like, ah, everything's going wrong. And she's like, that's okay. Don't worry. But yeah, get yourself a, a <laughs> male male friend you can talk to. Because, yeah, if you get a female friend you can talk to, you're probably trying to fuck them. She'll be like, wow, she understands me. Whereas get a male well, friend and then, yeah, maybe you'll try and fuck them as well. The, but. And the thing is, is like, I, I think what happens is, is that, you know, if you get a female friend, you don't necessarily start off trying to sleep with them. It's you, you, you genuinely, sincerely just want to open up to them. Yeah. And then, then it becomes that over time mm. because so much has been shared. That's why, like, if you look at, like, a guy like Arnold Schwarzenegger or, uh, or men who, who cheat, that's why the, the mistress, a lot of times, is not as attractive as the wife. Sometimes she is, she is unattractive. Mm. And, it's, and it's only because of, over time, the vulnerability, the intimacy, the sharing, you, you start to feel more connected. You see the person beyond the physical. I think that that's smart, yeah. It, um, when I, I remember when I played college football, and uh, my first year, uh, we were at camp three weeks before school started, football camp. And we had these female athletic trainers who, on day one, you're like, oh, my God, they're, they're all – unattractive it was like ugh, right by the middle of week two you're like oh my god they're all <laughs> models like you you're fantasy because you haven't you haven't you've been around dudes the whole yeah, time i went to an all boys school <laughs> any you'd be like oh she's such a fit teacher and yeah. what that meant was she was a woman under the age of 40 mm. and it was just like any female teacher who wasn't post-menopause you'd be like Oh, they're a real hottie. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm sure some of them were, but also probably not. Mm -hmm. It was just the fact that like, yeah, we're just all raging hormonal boys who, you know, hadn't seen a woman. And then we would, we'd be on a bus with the girls from the girls' school and we'd just sit completely separately being like, don't talk to them. They're weird. Girls are weird. Uh, they're confusing. We're like, this is like when we're like 15, 16. So this is ridiculously old to not be understanding women. But hey, Send boys to an all boys school, and they will not know how to talk to ladies. Oh, uh, right. That 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 I never thought about that. And and then you have women go, girls going to all girls schools, and then they meet in college. Of course, there's going to be a lot of alcohol, yeah, uh, induced uh, interactions mm. just to get over the or get through the awkwardness and yeah. like I don't know how to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, I, when I went to university. So like this would be when you like I was about to turn nineteen. I'm like one, one I'm old for my year, like a September birthday thing. But so like everyone's like eighteen, nineteen. And um I made loads of female friends really quickly in university. And I was like, huh, oh, this is crazy, because I never had that many female friends because I didn't meet any because I went to this old boys' school and then my social groups were like I went to boys I was in Boy Scouts and like, like the appropriate age one. So again, mostly boys. There were some girls, but um mainly boys. And I made so many female friends. And I was like, huh, I guess I'm great at this. And then I realized it was because everyone thought I was gay. Because you come from a boys' school and you realize, oh, everything we do reads as gay because 
you're very comfortable with like you you know you've all been changing in the locker rooms and you're right. comfortable with like just being naked around boys and being like affectionate and kind of like hugging and but then it's weird because the kind of environment at boys schools is always like if you ever were gay you would actually be bullied a lot for it right because it kind of like breaks this contract of like we can all be really close and affectionate with each other but only because we know none of us are trying to fuck each other like i can hold my friend's hand because oh, we're not gay and then actually you're like oh no loads of us are gay like of course we are um but yeah i went to university i was like i'm great with girls they're all like oh yeah because you're gay like you're fun to hang out with because you're not trying to fuck us and i'm like oh okay <laughs> i've not been making my intentions clear enough <laughs> <laughs> i know and, and that's and i think that's part of um you know i part of the me too culture i think part of it is there's such an inherent fear in young boys and young men of being labeled gay that then they be they overcorrect and become too aggressive, mm. right? It's like you know, g- grabbing on girls, or you know, uh, you know, or even just racking up numbers, like oh yeah, a thousand women in college, blah blah <laughs> blah. And it's like, is that even what you you know? Because I have friends who like they sleep around a lot, and they end up crying like every after every you know session. They're just like. Oh man, she didn't. You know, like it, whatever. It's just so sad. It's just so <laughs> sad. Like, like we always think of like the the women's walk of shame, but there are a lot of dudes I know who have like this walk, this walk of shame afterwards, where they're just yeah. like, and uh, <laughs> so like both sides are experiencing the same thing, but we're, because we're not really talking about it, we think, oh, that's just something characteristic of that side. But it's like, no, nah, no, nah, we both sides are crying in their hands after <laughs> a bad night. It's really sad to think of. It is. It's, it's just I'm just sad. thinking because we're staying at this hotel where there's Kiss Mini Golf. I'm like, and Gene Simmons famously is like, I've slept with, you know, 10,000 right, women right. or whatever. Just in thinking, if he was crying after every sexual partner, one, it would ruin his makeup. Yeah. <laughs> and two, it really kind of puts a different spin on, but, you know, <laughs> on but, Kiss. But uh, but he also probably wasn't because of, yeah, I would imagine there are a lot of drugs involved. That's very and true. So when you got the drugs involved, that that could mask a lot of uh, stuff. But you know, I cut you off and we went off a, on a long tangent before you were going to get into the second. I'm a rapper, therapy. motherfucker. Uh, no, yeah, no, 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 <laughs> that was the tangent we cut off right second, at the start. The, uh, so, Chris, you're a rapper. I'm sure the <laughs> listeners want to hear about that. <laughs> Fuck that. Let me open my heart. Um, but what was the second part? Of the second the thing. Uh, so that that the second meeting, we went back and um, yeah, it was just a check in. Like, hey, how are these things been going for you? And like saying this, is what we're doing, and then he'd be like, yeah, you're doing that right, or oh, you misunderstood that aspect of this it should be like i think we thought the meetings should be financial personal and tasks all in one every weekend he was like no no you split those up across the month and it's like just making sure you're doing things right and um and also just like so did the wedding raise anything did the honeymoon raise anything you want to talk about no cool here are some other minor things you could do going forward and then the, at the end minor of it, things like what i i can't i don't okay. even think we had any or uh, if they are, they're not things I've remembered. I'm sure they're things I still do because otherwise we would have kind of addressed that, I think. But yeah, we just, he kind of was just like, yeah, you guys are good. 
you guys will be fine. You don't need to come back and see me um, for that. Going, so, going to an all boys school, mm. did that? How did that affect your relationship with your parents? Because when you see it in movies, it's always the boy not wanting to go, and the parents just kind of like, like trying to get. It's always seen uh, portrayed as the parents getting rid of the kid. So that's that's different to that. Possibly might be boarding schools. Oh, so like. You know, like my wife went to boarding school. All of her siblings went to boarding school because her parents moved around a lot. And so they all went to different boarding schools, but it meant they were all at least in one place. And so my my school, I loved my school. My school's great. Um, I do like free performances for them. Uh, I do like kind of dinners and fundraisers. I'm doing one later this month uh, in New York where like they'll put a thing on for like, People who used to go to the school come and I think and I'll donate my time and kind of by um, I don't know by proxy it's like a donation to the school. So I have my name up on the wall in the school somewhere. I have my picture on the wall as like a famous school member. It's super fucking cool. There's my picture. It's a wall of black and white photos. Like a ton of famous people went to my school. It's like 500 years old. I performed at the 500th anniversary of my school. It's 1,100 people. It was crazy. Because I'm the second most famous comedian from my school. And the first one wasn't available. So <laughs> I performed there. Which was super cool. Because boys from my year who Wait, didn't... Wait, so who was the first one? He's called Chris Addison. He was a big stand-up in the UK. Now he's more famous because he directs Veep. He oh, directs a lot of the episodes wow. of that. Um, but he was... He was like one of the actors in the UK version of that, which is called uh, The Thick of It. And then he was in the movie version of that, which is called In the Loop, which then led to Veep. So um, that's him. He's yeah, he's way too busy to do the thing. But doing that performance was great because I did like, you know, just like 15 minutes at the dinner, did jokes, did a freestyle. People are like, like standing ovation from like a thousand people. It was really cool. And there were people from my year at the dinner who not bullied, but like just didn't pay any fucking attention to me um, because they were like the rugby kids or the the soccer kids, football the kids. Athletes, um, yeah, and I was I wasn't I was on the water polo team, but I sucked. Like when I quit the water polo team, we won the next two European championships. So I'm gonna I'm taking credit for that. Like I was holding us back, and I knew when to step out. And they came up to me and they were like, wow, that was amazing. And I was like, yeah, motherfuckers. Like, I had that thing of going back to your school reunion and walking in with like a beautiful woman, essentially. But actually, my beautiful woman, because my wife didn't come, she was um, doing something. Um, also, it wasn't, wives weren't invited. It was literally just boys. It was just boys. Then, like, a few female teachers who were there being like, ah. Uh, um, they were like, oh my God, you're so funny. I didn't even know you were funny. I'm like, fuck you. I was funny at school. You didn't pay attention to me. But the boys' school. Like I was, I was very grateful to my parents because I went to a a bad primary school. Not bad. Like there were good teachers there, but no one, one person from that school had gone to my secondary school, my high school. Like one person, because my school you had to take an exam to get in. You had to pay money. It was like a paying fee school. Although it's one of the best in the UK for that, because if you pass the exam to get in, which is a really hard exam, and you can't afford to pay the fees, the school pay the fees for you. And 50% of the people at that school don't pay fees. Like we, That's what these fundraisers are for, to make money. Wow. For a long time, before it was popular, we had a, an endowment fund that we put money into, the school did, to pay for underprivileged kids. Because literally, the school was set up 500 years ago for poor boys in Manchester, which has like huge areas of like deprivation and poverty. And 
the whole school's thing. And although it's like super posh and we send more kids to Oxford and Cambridge every year than like pretty much any other school in the UK. Like we're really, really good. Um, like there's 150 kids every year in, in each year and 30 to 35 each year go to Oxford, which is a crazy rate. Great Oxford or Cambridge. I went to Oxford as well because, you know, <laughs> very clever boy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love that. And my parents were like, oh, you should, you're smart. You should go to the school. So like they got me a tutor. They got me extra like people working for me. I had teachers at my school, my primary school who helped me. And then, yeah, they, they worked and paid for me to go to that school. And I, I had a really good time. Even at the time, I don't think I disliked it that much. That you know that that explains a lot because uh, if you haven't seen Chris Turner uh, perform or, or Google him by now, like your what fascinates me about your freestyle right? Because I love watching freestyle videos. Mm -hmm. I'm always watching Sway, hmm. or uh, and I know a lot of those have, are pre rehearsed yeah. and canned, but I like to lo I love to watch freestyle rap battles. Yeah, um, and there's this guy called King Solomon. He's Jewish, and the stuff he comes up with, the metaphors and analogies, I'm like, well, and you know that they're, they're, a lot of it's pre-written because yeah. it's just... But uh, you, on the other hand, like you take suggestions from the audience, mm -hmm. five different yeah. suggestions, and you put it all in one rap. And what makes it great is that you'll not only talk about what they've mentioned, but you'll, you'll, you'll talk about the historical background of that like somebody would talk about lipstick and you'd be like in 1883 when queen <laughs> margaret came you'd be like how the hell and you'll see people in the audience like how the hell did he know that queen margaret you like the annexing of the you're like what did you say annexing what the and um so i understand how you got no you said oxford or cambridge oxford oxford uh i was like okay yeah you definitely have the brain of somebody who gets into oxford but can you break down to me uh, how to freestyle rap and why I think it's such a great skill because it does require listening, a listening skill, right? There's, um, and I mean, it requires a, a multiple of things, but I, I, I imagine that this is a great skill for people who have trouble and conversations or talking or fluidity or fluidity of thought. Uh, but can you talk to me about how you are able to, for the length of a, a song, mm. piece So just to jump on the listening thing, okay. I think what you mean there is it's about being entirely in the moment. It's improv, right? Okay. So it's, it's about no pre-preparation because people will be like, so when you get the suggestions, are you thinking what you're going to say? And that's not how you do it. I mean, that's how people, you might start to do it, but that's, it limits you because how can you think of these things then remember them and like you watch um like whose line is it anyway people like improvise four lines of a song now when it gets to them they've already thought the lines they're going to say because that way you've got more thinking time the lines will be funnier because you can pick good ones whereas in a freestyle for like three minutes or four minutes you can't do all that so this is a, a listening skill because you're you're just thinking, what are you saying now? When you have a conversation, you're not planning like where you're going or you're not, when you're focusing on someone talking to you, you're listening to their words rather than where are they going or thinking about someone else. I guess that's the kind of, that spotlight focus is kind of a skill you need for it. Um, my, the, the main thing I, I credit uh, my skill at it to 
is the ability to put yourself into a flow state, which is, I, hopefully we've had experiences of this. As comedians, you have experiences of this where everything's going right and you feel sharp and you feel like you're not thinking about the jokes you're telling. You're just reading the audience and your your timing's great. And usually as soon as you notice it, you fall out of it. But the flow state is, as people describe all this shit. There's loads of podcasts, I'm sure, that explain this where like challenge meets aptitude. And so for me, that is like the certain speed of a beat, the topic I'm rapping about, that's the challenge. And then my aptitude is my ability, like, and whether that's impaired, like I've had two beers, because one beer makes it easier. Uh, although currently not drinking, because uh, I put on some weight and I don't want to be a fatty. Um, so freestyling, I get the words, and all I do is remember like five words. So I'm doing a five word rap. I remember the five words and then I'll just pick one to start on. And usually I'll try and end on the more outrageous one or the silliest one or the one I know will get biggest laughs because whatever I start on, they won't believe it's freestyled. And I'll usually start on a basic one. So say someone says like firework displays. I'm like, oh, that's fine. That's not an ending thing. I'll start rapping about firework displays. And I could take the suggestion firework displays 10 times over 10 nights and it would be a different rap every time because I, I, I try not to take the same suggestion because people will be like, hey, there's a video where you already rapped about fireworks and you did it again. I'm like, yeah, but it would be entirely different because if you watch a video of yourself back and you can tell what you're going to say next, that means you weren't flowing. That means you were being conscious of what you were saying. So I'll I'll do that sometimes. I'll be like, what am I going to say next? Oh, I clearly wasn't in the moment there because I know that I'm going to rhyme this and this. So you'll start rapping. And th and I, I don't think ahead. It just comes to me. You put your brain in a panic and your brain is just like, you need a word that rhymes with Roman candle. And that's why when people are like, what rhymes with Roman candle? Here, now on a couch, it's not going to come to me as quick as it would when I'm on stage with adrenaline or even when I'm flowing like, I do radio shows and they're like, hey, rap in the studio. And I'm like, sure, it won't be as good as live in front of hundreds of people because the danger in the studio is nothing. Right. The danger on stage is you better make this good. Otherwise, people are going to throw shit. It's like lifting five pounds versus 50 pounds. Like, the, like Have you, you know, seen my arms? I have no yeah. idea. Both <laughs> of those sound really hard. <laughs> but, but basically, like here, like the, the stakes are low. The weight is low. Okay. So you're not gonna you're not gonna get the blood. Okay. Like you're not gonna the get adrenaline the lets you lift yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, so to do that, you have to be comfortable. That's another thing with flow state. And so the fact that I've done it for 18 years, I started when I was 12. I'm 30. For those of you who can't tell from my youthful expressions, um, I I'm very comfortable doing it. Like people are like, oh, has it ever gone wrong? I'm like. Why would it go wrong? Because one, people also don't expect me to be good at it. They don't expect to be as good as I am at it, even if they're like, oh, I'm sure he can do this, otherwise why would he be doing it? And like, they never know how good it can be. I can do a rap that I'm like, that was shit. Like, that was bad. And people will be like, wow, I can't believe you did that. Because people don't know. And that's one of the things I like doing in America for is because people over here understand freestyling a lot more than they do in the UK. And I really enjoyed being in New York, doing shows at the Comedy Cellar there because comics there would be like, hey, I love freestyling and you're good. Like, I've got friends who do it and like, the, the, you're good. Whereas in the UK, people were like, oh, I guess that's 
well done, hooray, rap. Because, you know, it's, it's less of a cultural, culturally pervasive over there. Because, you know, it's not British music. Whereas you're in LA and people are like, holy shit, you can just freestyle legitimately rather than just when, a comedian who's good at it. When you and I were talking about it, uh, before at the Comedy Magic, we were talking about, uh, di would you say divergent thinking, convergent thinking? Yeah, yeah. So can I, you talk more about that? Yeah, I work with a psychologist um, called Mats Korsgaard, who has, um, he, he has a book in Danish. Uh, we're trying to get it in English as just a direct translation, but uh, he works with a freestyle rapper called Pilby, who is a Danish freestyle rap champion. And he wanted to start doing talks and presentations in English. And so he found me because he was like, it was really flattering. He's like, yeah, I was just looking for the best freestyle rapper who speaks English. And like, you were the best. And I was like, oh, well, thank you very much. And obviously his Danish rapper can't freestyle in English because you have to be thinking in the way you have to just trust your brain. He would just revert to Danish. So he does talks and presentations and he taught me about, he was like, this is how you do it. And I was like, I don't think this is how I do it. I do it my special way. And then he explained it. I was like, oh no, that is exactly how I do it. That's how all great freestylers do it. Um, convergent versus divergent thinking. Convergent is, I'll say, hey, what are some uses for this brick? This is an example he gives. And you'll go, build a house with it. It's a brick. Whereas divergent thinking is you're going out, you're going, oh, you could smash a window with it. You could tie it to someone and put them in the bottom of a lake. You know, you could uh, paint it a weird color and use it as a doorstop. You think of things that it's not designed for. You think outwards. And so the freestyle rapping application is someone says, hey, rap about lions. And I, there's a the English version of the book we wrote, we get to this test chapter where I wrote about the first time I went to a freestyle kind of battle thing when I was a teenager in Manchester. And I showed up and everyone was much older than me. I was like 14. And I was like, cool, I'll do some freestyling. And they started doing this thing. They get in a circle. And this guy's like, okay, we're going to do a rap. Um, you're at a zoo and uh, something something's going a bit weird with the lions. And the first person starts rapping. And they were like, yeah, I'm in the zoo. I'm looking at the lion. Blah, 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 blah trying and they'd run out and pass on those person's like yeah lions he's a lion and they just kept talking about fucking lions and that's not how you do it right that is you're just thinking about the thing whereas what you should be doing is like lion what does that make me think of animals in captivity the lion king which makes me think about elton john or broadway lion the chocolate bar chocolate bar in the uk um and and how chocolate bars with peanuts are pieces of shit Lions, you know, the, um, the, air, the airline, Lion Air, whatever. All these things, you're thinking about that. And that's what I do in my rap. Someone will be like, suggest toothpaste or whatever. And I'm not going to spend 30 seconds. I mean, maybe I would spend 30 seconds rapping about toothpaste. But what my brain is going to do is just go down the avenues I'm interested in. So it would be like, ah, oh, that toothpaste is red, white, and blue. Like, why has it got those three colors? Huh, that's the color of the American flag and the British flag. Huh, isn't it weird? The thing that combines us together is toothpaste where British people have shit dental hygiene and Americans have great hygiene. And that's what that 30-second rap would be about. And then people would be like, fuck, wow. And one problem there is people are like, oh, you steered it into a thing you had something prepped on. Now, of course, it, I just followed where it was interesting to me. 
and that's like a, an aspect of my personality as I'm very inquisitive. And ever since I was a kid, I used to like, I had encyclopedias on CD-ROMs and I just like had no games on my computer. So I'd just click through all these things and be like, I'm discovering about all these things alphabetically on this Encarta CD-ROM. So you'd learn about everything, um, which is, you know, again, credit to my parents being like indulging my interest in knowledge and making sure there were always books and, you know, I... You know, Neil deGrasse Tyson talked about that growing up, how his parents didn't steer him in any direction. They just, uh, they always had books uh, mm -hmm. based on their, and they exposed them to a lot of things early yeah, on. You museums, surround people with stuff. Blah, yeah. blah, and then see what they, whatever you grabbed on, then they just fed that, whatever yeah. direction you were going. My mom was the same way. Um, a bunch of books and, and interest and things like that. So you read a lot of news every day. Yeah, we t spoke about this. Yeah, right. yeah, I'm... Uh, just news apps, but not uh, not audio books too much, right? More just I'm, more I, news? podcasts. I yeah, podcasts more than audio books. I mean, and I listen to audio books more than I read books. Uh, I I I had to kind of stop myself from being that kind of guy because this is a type of guy who's like, I only read nonfiction because why would I read fiction? Of course, you should read fiction. Fiction enriches the soul and is wonderful. And um, I I'm trying to listen to more audio books just because my wife reads so much she'll read like three or four books a week and that's not an exaggeration um she's voracious um and yeah books are super important to kind of enrich your worldview and you can learn stuff from fiction just like you know i was listening to lincoln in the bardo i, I didn't know you know i learned more from abraham lincoln from a book of fiction than than i knew before right so right. and that wasn't a non-fiction book i mean it's got non-fiction aspects but you could do that. And a big thing about me is anytime I don't know something, if I come across something I don't know, whether that's a word, because also that's like, you should read books and look up words you don't know. I remember reading Cormac McCarthy years ago, like Blood Meridian, which is a fucking great book, but everyone knows it's a great book. That's such a hack, like hipster guy thing to say. Blood Meridian's great. There's so many words in it that you just like, the fuck is that word? And people just scan over it in context and know what it means, but actually look up the word and you've learned a new word, which is useful for me as a rapper to kind of have that vocabulary. But, you know, I just remember reading it, I was like, the fuck is a mesa? What is a mesa? What, like like a mesa, like a, the, we're in like the desert and everything. Like oh, a, you know. oh, oh, M-E-S-A. Yeah, 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 got yeah. Got yeah. you, got you, got um, you. And like Costa Mesa. Yeah, got exactly. Mesa Boogie, the amplifier company. Yes, yes, yes. So, you'd learn about these things. So yeah, books are, Books are cool for that, obviously. But yeah, it, podcasts, little news things are cool. Like I feel one thing that's weird though is like everyone listens to podcasts now. Everyone listens to the same Pod podcasts. Right. So you'll say something and be like, "I've I've learned this thing," and someone will be like, "Oh yeah, I know that too." And you're like, "Fuck!" You both listen to Radiolab. Ah, that's all yeah. my dinner table party conversation gone. So what you can do is find those little niche podcasts that no one listens to. Absolutely, and then, yeah. But that, and you know. That's why, like, I, I was such, I realized I was such in a rut of, not rut, but cycle of, like, listen to what I like to listen to, which is what everybody else is. So now when people recommend things, like you talk about Blood Meridian, that's that's what I'm going to read. Blood Meridian like, I'm is gonna great. Add that. It's pretty horrible. It's a slog. Like, you read American Psycho? No. American Psycho has so many unpleasant pieces in it, and Blood Meridian is very similar. It's real good. Uh -huh. It's real good. Really dark. Yeah, and it's hard to read because have you read Clockwork Orange? Uh-uh. 
Okay, so Clockwork Orange, the Anthony Burgess book, which the film's based on, is really hard to read because he writes it in a different language, essentially. Uh. It's English, but it's like the English that the characters in Clockwork Orange use, so like Droog, meaning friend, or Maloko, meaning milk. But he never translates it. You just, as you read, you start to learn what these words mean. And it's really hard. Blood Meridian is the same in that Cormac McCarthy doesn't use punctuation, really. And it, it creates an effect. Um, there's like a scene in there where this tribe of Indians um, like come upon the, the party of headhunters that the main character's with and just like destroy them, just like murder everyone. And it's four pages without a period, without anything. And it's breathless. And you're reading it just being like, oh, my God. <laughs> and it conveys the feeling of fear wow. and violence that is actually happening in the in the thing. But it's it's so cool. Blood Meridian is great. People should read. And like, if people like Red Dead Redemption, then Blood Meridian is... Red Dead Redemption massively rips off Blood Meridian. It's the same vibe. Um, there's a scene right near the start where... There's a travel. This is just to give you an example of how like dark, but how funny it is as well. Because he's such a funny writer in a very bleak way. Like, um, there's a traveling preacher in a town, and he's set up this tent, and he's just preaching. And all these hundreds of people from the town are like, "Yeah, okay, yeah," but they're all like cowboys. They're all kind of there chewing, being like, "Oh, he's bringing us God." Okay, and then this guy walks in and just goes, "Hey." That guy's wanted in the town down the road for fucking kids. And everyone's like, what? And they all just like stab the preacher and kill him. And they're like, right. And then there's this, the tent starts falling over. Everyone's trying to tear out of the tent. And they're beating each other up and like cutting through the side of the tent to get out. And then someone's like, wow, thanks for coming and telling us that. Like, so what was the guy's name? He's like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> and like, what? He's like, no, of course he didn't fuck any kid. I don't even know who this guy is. And that's, he's just one of the antagonists. He just does that to create chaos because he's like look what i can do and it's you're like fuck me um yeah it's a great book but again like that's nothing that's nothing that we didn't tell us the, the two most best parts of the book so. no that that's right at the start oh that's right right okay. at the start of the book. <laughs> that's um the book is those things are both really near the start it was like american psycho i is one of the only books i had to stop reading because i physically couldn't go on wow. blood meridian i have had to take big breaks in between because it is just pretty so violent yeah and yeah. this is the thing that I, I know about myself like when i'm i i really like really heavy really dark music i love just like listening to music that sounds like anguish and pain and noise and horrible horrible stuff and I'll listen to that most of the time because I'm a really happy person and it, it energizes me. Like there's a song I love called The West Has Failed. And it, it's just the, West, it's, has the West Has Failed by a band called The Body. And it's horrible. It's really cool because it turns into like this kind of dub song, but it just starts with noise. And it's like, ah, it sounds like people are just being burnt over coals. And I can listen to that 10 out of 12 months of the year. But it was a while back, like a couple of years ago, I was like, I called my wife. I'm like, hey, I'm really down. And she and I figured out, oh, I'm listening to too much of this music. And that's not useful when I'm feeling down. When I am happy, I can listen to it and it's fine. It's kind of the opposite of like how I feel. Mm -hmm. um, and then I realized I have to temper my indulgence in morose media. I can't be reading violent books and I can't be reading, listening to horrible music when I am potentially in a bad mood. Like, 
It's been hard enough here for a week, just kind of ah, in my funny bone. Ah. Right, right. Um, it, yeah, it's hard being here for a week, kind of lonely. So I'm like, okay, just keep an eye on how much of that you listen to and how much of fun music you're listening to. Like maybe add some pop to your playlists. No, you're you're so it's so funny you brought that up because I almost didn't want to see the Joker movie this week because yeah. I heard it was very dark. Yeah, but I realized like you know if I wake up, do my exercises, journal, spend all, all this stuff, then I go see it in the middle of the day. That way, when I walk out, there's still sunlight, and I have a mm. whole second part of my day to kind of then you w- can, let it wash out yeah. off. Then I'm good by the show, right? Yeah. So I, I think about that when I'm on the road in terms of what movie I'm going to see and what I'm watching, what I'm taking in, because I know it could affect how I show up my energy on stage. And, you know, like you said, even the music you listen to and things like that, because I like melancholy music. Okay. But, excuse me, but I find that that, it, that uh, feeds my my energy. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I'm a person who I realize, like, I give off a strong energy, whether it's positive or negative or, Whatever it is, so I have to I have to monitor that and make sure that, um, you know that that uh, that I'm nurturing. The, I have to spend my day nurturing the energy that I want to bring to the stage. Yeah, of course. And not take that for granted. You're right. Yeah, because yeah. it's hard to. I hate one of the things I hate about stand up is sometimes you don't feel like being the you on stage that you have to be to make your act work, mm-hmm. and then. You have to do that because otherwise you suck <laughs> on stage well, if you're like, you know, I, I'm in a bad mood, but I have to go tell these silly jokes. Well, you know, I almost feel, it, I think it depends on what you're, if you have an act, act. Uh, because there have been times where I've been angry or sad or depressed and uh, and I'll start from there. I'll acknowledge it. I'll be like, you know, this is what's going on or whatever. And I won't. I'll I'll sit in the non laughter for a couple minutes, and and then find my way into the material. Mm. And the if you pull it off, I don't always pull it off. Sometimes it's just it, it just. But most of the times I can pull it off, and then the audience loves you more for it. And it's how you keep the material fresh. It's almost like in a same thing going back to the very beginning of how we started in relationships, looking for the newness. It's starting off with how you really feel right now mm. because that's going to change how you deliver the material yeah. and your perspective on it. And, and then it, it gives it a chance to grow in a way that uh, you're like, holy shit, I didn't realize all these other things were attached to this one joke or bit or what, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I think my fear is always if I'm in a bad mood, then I go on and then I would just let myself sit in that. I'd then have a bad show and that would make me even worse because if I'm in a bad mood, it's usually to do with the fact that I'm like, oh, I'm not funny. I can't think of anything funny. Oh. I suck. So therefore it would compound that. Whereas actually what I need to do is go on and be like, boom, 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 boom. Aha, see, I am funny. And that usually lifts me out of it. Um, uh. Like, that would be my... Uh, but also, I think it's harder for me to be on stage going, hi, I'm in a bad mood or, oh, I'm feeling depressed because people would be like, you? You're a little child. 
Cheer, so, cheer up. What have you got to be depressed about? In that case, that feeling right there, when I feel like, oh, I'm not funny, you're not going to like me, I accept that feeling. I go, I'm not funny. I need to write something funny right now before I go on stage. And then <laughs> I will... We're so different because I'd be like, oh, the thing I'm writing is not funny. Because <laughs> then I'll, I'll go... I'll find something a little bit funny. I go, oh, yeah, I am funny. And then I'll, I won't do the joke that I just wrote, but it'll give me enough of a, a dopamine hit to then go on stage. Because usually when I don't feel funny, it's because I haven't created anything funny mm. that day. Like, some, there are just days where I, I need to add. Like, it's like it's almost like if you've been eating chicken every day for f- five days. You're like, I don't want to eat chicken again. But then if somebody goes... Hey, why don't we throw some cilantro on there or, or a new sp- You're like, oh, okay, all right. I could I could do chicken like that. Can we put in the chicken wrap? You know, like that kind of mm. thing. And then that gives me enough to get excited to go on stage. So it's like, how can I add something? I go, this is all crap. Well, I need to I need to add something to it or expound or, but and then as soon as I, find, I go, ah, yeah. Um, we got a show in like less than 30 minutes. Oh my gosh. I know. Uh, and you can't go on stage wearing uh, that, I, I could. <laughs> that I mankini that you've been my... wearing for the show. <laughs> One time I, my luggage was uh, lost and I had to wear t-shirt and shorts on stage. It was not comfortable, <laughs> but we pulled through. You, got, uh, you could do material about that. Chris Turner. <laughs> What Hi. I always feel like there is because this is a mental health podcast, and uh, I hope this uh, has been a value to the listeners. What I always feel like there's somebody listening who's on a precipice of taking their life or completing suicide. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person? Oh gosh, this is such a momentous uh, moment for me. Um, <laughs> way to put pressure on this feels like the type of question you should brief your guests in advance be like hey you should probably have something for this um, I'm trying to think of something that's not trite and hackneyed and not what everyone always says um, uh, oh I'm going to quote one of my favorite rappers Dave Mercury Music Prize winner Dave um, if you're thinking about doing it Suicide, it doesn't stop the pain, it's only moving it. Thought of life without you in it. So I think he got it spot on with that. Um, you know, that so uh go go and listen to the opening track from Dave's Mercury Music Prize winning album Psychodrama and uh listen to that line and then stay for the rest of the album, which is a banger, and then see how you feel. You said it's the opening track, Psycho. The opening track, Psy- the whole album is is a kind of, it's a concept of, it's just that, a therapy session. Mm. Be- and like psychodrama being acting out the kind of past pains that you've had and talking through. Because his, his brother, who he dedicated as a war, he only just won the Mercury Music Prize a couple of weeks ago. And I called it like four months ago and I can show you the messages that I had with my friend. Um, and uh, yeah, his, his brother is in... Um, in jail for murder for the next 20 years. And that was some therapy his brother went through. And so I think he kind of did it himself and put it on the album. He's like a 20-year-old guy. He's astonishingly good for how young he is. And he has been for the last three years, at least since I found out about him. And uh, yeah, so maybe that's the thing. There is so much great art in the world and there will be so many more. Um, And maybe that's a kind of a very flippant thing to say, but 
Um, and it's not a position I've ever been in. I'm very fortunate for that. But there's so many cool things that you can see and absorb. And there are so many cool things that will be created. And I think it would be a shame to not get the opportunity to see that. So, you know, stick around and check out all the culture that we're creating. Because when I say we, I mean the royal we. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean me. <laughs> no, I mean we as, as humans. Because like growing up, people always be like, what's the meaning of life? And I was like, as a kid, I was like, I got this nailed. I was like, it's to create things, to be creative, mm -hmm. to produce things. Because uh, legacy is such a fluffy idea. But the actuality of the fact like your name will be on the spine of a book in someone's library for hundreds of years or your special will be floating around the ether for people in 50 years to look back and go, wow, his views on women were really retrograde. Now step with the time. We don't even call them women anymore. Um, but that was always what I said. And I, I, I do kind of stick by that, um, that things that people have created are super, super cool. And um, so go, yeah, go and look at some paintings and see how that works. But mainly listen, listen to Dave. Check out Psychodrama Mercury Music. Uh, Chris Turner. Where can I, are you ChrisTurner.com? Uh, Chris Turner website? Comedy on pretty much everything. ChrisTurnerComedy.com. Chris Turner Comedy on Instagram. Chris PJ Turner on Twitter. But you don't need to go on that because I put nothing on it. Check him out. Check out his freestyle raps. Oh, yeah. On um, YouTube, Chris Turner Comedy. I put a new one up every Wednesday. Live, every Wednesday. usually from the Comedy and Magic Club. Okay. Sometimes from the Comedy Cellar. Um, and then remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you calling the 1-800-S-U-I-C-I-D-E number, 1-800-S-U-I-C-I-D-E, um, or getting therapy or, or calling an enemy or going to check out great works of art. Um, thank you for tuning in, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>